Gets it out for Ekblad. Back to Hoffman. Blocked by Polak and Rice. Another spectacular stop. Broussard tees it up and a save is made by Bobrovsky. Nelson. Marcel with the open net and he scores. Hi, and welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. Hello and welcome to the Monday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. So glad to be with you. Hope everybody had a very nice Mother's Day yesterday. And to all the mothers out there, of course, happy belated Mother's Day. Don't forget that today our show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. And you'll get $10 off of your first order. So we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, The latest news on the NHL's plans to open up training camps and when that may happen, when we may get finally to stage two for the National taking place fairly soon. And we'll talk about how the Islanders fit into all this based on the fact that The New York metropolitan area is a very hard-hit area. We also will be beginning our new uh, topic that uh, all of the podcasts here on the Locked On Podcast Network are doing, and that is the greatest what-ifs in Islanders history. And uh, we'll start that today, and we'll be working on that for a couple of weeks. So please, if you have a what-if in Islanders history that you would like us to discuss, please feel free to send us an email at LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com, and if you leave your name and where you're from, we'll be happy to mention you on the air when we discuss your topic or answer your question or comment. You can also follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnIsles, and you can follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at IceWarsNYRVSNYI. So, let's Take a look, first of all, at what's going on in the world of the New York Islanders. Again, uh, some cool things right now on the uh, Islanders' official website, so we can start with those. A little thing about how, you know, the Islanders celebrated their moms and how their moms impacted their careers, so that is definitely great. Uh, And the other thing that's really interesting is... uh, the interview with Brian Trottier, fans were able to ask him questions about the Islanders Cup run, and that is now up on the Islanders official website, so uh, good stuff there, and it's always good to to check that stuff out. So, look, first of all, with, the, with regard to the resumption of play, the NHL is still hoping that they can begin to open uh, facilities for at least, you know, more than half the teams uh, sometime in mid to late May, so later this month. Now, as of May 15th, uh, a number of local restrictions are scheduled to be eased up right now, 
and that includes Arizona, California, Nevada, Minnesota. So as of May 15th, give or take, about 21, 22 teams will, in theory, be able to have their informal training facility, you know, their training facilities open for informal training activities. That would be phase two of the reopening of the NHL. Obviously, Long Island and New York City not going to be included in those areas. And right now, uh, Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner, basically has said that alternative alternative plans are being made available to teams located in markets that are not in a position to open. So, where other than the New York metropolitan area, in order to to hold informal workouts, that remains to be seen. Uh, and again, the, the big question surrounding any resumption of play in the National Hockey League and in all sports, really, at the present time is, you know, what can you do about getting enough testing to make sure that everybody is safe? But if in the event that later this month that the NHL feels that, you know, a majority or, or the critical mass or acceptable mass is what they're looking at. Uh, if they can get to acceptable mass, the Islanders, the Rangers, the Devils, all will most likely be among the teams that are not able to hold practice in their facilities, and we'll see what these alternative plans may be. Meanwhile, the league holding more meetings about the possibility of the early draft that you know they can hold the draft next month in June before they even resume the season or the playoffs or whatever it is that the resumption of play hopefully will look like in, uh, you know, in the coming weeks and months. So, you know, if July 1st right now is realistically the earliest time that we can resume play, having the draft on June 4th or some other date uh, in June before play resumes, Something that's being discussed, and the league is going to have more meetings about it this week, but according to most reports that I've seen, and my sources, there are very few general managers who favor this approach. I mean, to them, right now, they want to keep things as close to normal as possible, and that means finishing the season, making sure that all 31 teams have fair draft choices, that trades can be made on draft day. And, you know, I think if you look at it again, purely from an Islanders perspective, because the Islanders are having difficulties or projected to have difficulties uh, with being close to the cap ceiling next year, unless they're able to make some trades, being able to trade players during the draft would be a very big advantage for the New York Islanders. It's something they really would want to have happen. And, you know, if the Islanders uh, can't do that, it's going to make it more difficult to make trades. 
and to, to free up some salary cap, whether it's part of a trade or uh, whether there is a buyout or whatever it is, but you want maximum ways, if you're Lula Amarello, to figure out, uh, you know, what you can do to clear up cap space so you can, you know, sign Matt Barzal to that contract and and bring in Ilya Sorokin and uh, some other potential free agents or players in trades that will help this team take the next step forward. So it, it, it's a double-edged sword. Fans obviously hungry for content and for activity, but as of right now, most GMs against it, and uh, we'll see what the league decides to do. All right, don't forget, Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar, and uh, I'll tell you, I've always had trouble with protein bars. The taste isn't good. The consistency isn't right, but this Built Bar is different. First of all, Built Bars are tasty. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And there are 16 amazing flavors, eight that are chocolate with nuts and eight that are nut-free with chocolate. All bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew. And Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy or gal. You could lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, High protein and high fiber. And look, look at this pro uh, this flavor profile. Take the mint brownie flavor. 15 grams of protein, only 110 calories, just 4 grams of sugar and 5 grams of net carbs. Go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. All right, time for this date in Islanders history. We take you back to May 11th, 1975. Islanders and Flyers, game six of their semifinal series. And again, the Islanders for a 5-1 win at the Spectrum Philadelphia in game five. And now game six back at the Nassau Coliseum where the Islanders are trying to even the series and force a seventh and deciding game. Chico Resch in goal for the New York Islanders. Hall of Famer Bernie Perrant in net for the Flyers, who were the defending Stanley Cup champions. 14,865 fans at the Coliseum to see if the Islanders could force a seventh and deciding game after being behind three games to nothing for the second straight uh They get a goal from Ross Lonsberry, his second. Joe Watson, the lone assist, and that was just a minute 42 into the game. Chico Resch could not find the handle, and it was 1-0 Flyers. That is the way the period ended, and it was 1-0 in favor of Philadelphia. In that first period, Flyers out shooting the Islanders 9-8. In the second period, it was a tight, tight game, but with Bobby Clark off for hooking, the Islanders get a power play, and Dennis Potvan gets his fifth goal of the playoffs. Jude Druan and Ed Westfall, the two veterans, with the assists at 16-15, and after two periods, the game was all even at one apiece. 
the third period would be decisive and it would be where the Islanders get a goal from an unsung hero and that of all people is defenseman Jerry Hart. Hart gets the goal that uh, absolutely ends up being the game winner just three minutes and 42 seconds into that third period. It is an unassisted goal and it gives the Islanders a 2-1 to one lead that they are able to hold on to. No power play opportunities in the third period. Islanders out shooting Philadelphia 11-10. to 10, But Hart did a lot more in this game than score the game-winning goal. Hart, first of all, unofficially credited, according to the article in Newsday about this game, with eight blocked shots. The biggest one coming with a little more than eight minutes left when Reggie Leach, the sniper for the Flyers, basically used all of his body to block a slap shot by Leach. And here's what Chico Resch had to say. If Hardy hadn't blocked that shot, I'm not sure I would have stopped it. And one of the reasons that Hart was able to anticipate Leach's shot the two of them played together in juniors with the Flin Flon Bombers. So they practiced against each other and they essentially were able, uh, Hart was able to anticipate the play that uh, Leach was going to make and he was able to block the shot. Defenseman Burt Marshall also made a big block on a shot late in the game by Terry Crisp. And uh, Marshall, who was a defensive defenseman, a veteran, one of the few older players on the Islanders at that point, uh, getting the job done, blocking Terry Crisp's shot and uh, helping the Islanders preserve their 2-1 to one victory. Lorne Henning also coming up with a big defensive play when he broke up a, a breakaway chance by Ross Lonsbury. So the Islanders survive to force that seventh and deciding game and essentially send the series back to the spectrum in Philadelphia. Final score on this date in Islanders history, the Islanders 2, the Flyers 1. Series now all even at Three games apiece. By the way, shots on goal. Hart led the Islanders with five, and that had to be uh, a very big rarity. No Islander more than a plus one in the plus minus. The plunge were Clark Gillies, Billy Harris, and Ralph Stewart. So Islanders two, Flyers one. This date in Islanders history, May 11th, 1975. So today we begin our next feature, and we'll be going through this over the next couple of weeks, this week and next week, the biggest what-ifs in Islanders history. And we're going to start with an obvious one, uh, but to me, it's one of the bigger what-ifs out there. What if the Islanders did not draft Dennis Potvan with the first overall selection in the 1973 draft? It would have been a very different history for this hockey team. No question about it. And look, the 72-73 Islanders, that first season 
at the Nassau Coliseum. The Islanders set what was then an all-time NHL record for futility, winning only 12 games out of the 78 that they played. And that gave them the right to draft Potvin. Now, general manager Bill Torrey, one of the great all-time builders in NHL history, and Torrey essentially knew that Potvin was the prize in that 1973 draft. Dennis was 20 years old at that point when he joined the Islanders. And look, the Islanders actually acquired Jean Potvin, Dennis's older brother, to uh, late in the 72-73 season in order to help entice Dennis to sign with the Islanders if they drafted him rather than him signing with the WHA, which was still fighting the NHL for teams back in that time period. So the Islanders sort of knew that they needed to get Potvin. Now at the draft, Sam Pollock, the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens, offered the Islanders a package with four players uh, in it, four NHL players, uh, if they were willing to trade that pick for Dennis Potvin, and Tory turned it down. I know that Emil Francis uh, offered some NHL roster players, multiple players on the Rangers roster for the right to that pick, because when I interviewed him for my book, Ice Wars, we talked about that, and he mentioned it. And Tory wisely turned down all of the offers for that pick, and selected Dennis Potvin. And it ended up being uh, a great, great selection. Look, Potvin won the Calder Trophy as the NHL's Rookie of the Year in 1973-74. He won the Norris Trophy as the league's best defenseman in 1976, 1978, and 1979. Played in nine All-Star games throughout his career and had 164 points in 185 career NHL playoff games. By the time he retired uh, after the 1987-88 season, Dennis Potvin was the first NHL defenseman to top 1,000 points in his career, and he had two, three seasons, excuse me, of 30 or more goals. His career high in points and in assists came in 1978-79 when he had 31 goals, 70 assists, and 101 points. That is the only time he went over 100 points. Uh, but again, back then for a defenseman, that is off the charts. And his plus-minus in 1978-79, also a career high, a plus-71. In fact, uh, only twice in his NHL career was Dennis Potman ever a minus. The first was his rookie season when the Islanders were still uh, well below 500. And then in 86-87, his before last season, uh, he was a minus six in, on a team that struggled a little bit. But more importantly, uh, Dennis Potman only played 58 games that season, largely due to an assortment of injuries. But Here's the thing about Dennis Potvin. 
he gave the Islanders instant credibility in 1973-74. And it's not a surprise that the team's goals against went down by exactly 100 that first year when A. Al Arbor came in and employed a more defense-oriented system, and B., because Dennis Potvin came in and gave the Islanders a defenseman who everybody had to respect. And, you know, the thing about Dennis Potvin also, he was a tough guy in addition to being a, a good offensive defenseman and a good defensive defenseman. He had 175 penalty minutes in his rookie season, went over 100 penalty minutes five times in his career, but four of those five times, uh, excuse me, six times in his career, but his first four NHL seasons, he had 100 penalty minutes or more, and then didn't have it again until 1980-81, and again his final NHL season of 87-88. But, uh, you know, Dennis Potvin did it all. He ended up being the captain of that Islanders team that, you know, when they won four straight Stanley Cups, Dennis Potvin was the captain. Now, originally, Ed Westfall was the captain. When Westfall started to play less of a role on the ice, uh, he was replaced by Clark Gillies. But Gillies never really felt comfortable as the leader of the team, as serving as the captain. And then Dennis Potvin took over uh, and, and really did fit well in that role as the leader of the team. So it would be very difficult to imagine the Islanders' 1975 Stanley Cup run taking place without the play and the performance of Dennis Potvin. And really, the team was built after that. That was really, you know, the the, the linchpin for the birth of... Uh, and, and, and just really, you know, everything else that worked for this team. Now, in 74-75, the Islanders played 17 playoff games, and Dennis Potvin, in his first ever playoff year, five goals, nine assists, and 14 points in 17 games. Pretty impressive for a guy who was only in his second NHL season and making his NHL playoff debut. Now, there were a few other quality players out there in the 73 uh, entry draft, but, you know, most of the offers that were being made to Bill Torrey were for players, and those veteran players may have helped the Islanders to maybe even a year earlier, maybe they could have squeaked into the playoffs in 1974 had they not selected Dennis Potvin and built around, you know, four veterans off the Montreal Canadiens roster, for example. Um, But the Islanders wouldn't have become the dynasty without Dennis Potvin. And they wouldn't have been as good over the long haul without Dennis Potvin. So clearly, uh, Bill Torrey doing the right thing and... Let's face it, Ranger fans would have nothing to say at at a lot of their games, even to this day, if it wasn't for Dennis Potvin being a uh, New York Islander. So Potvin went first. Some of the other players that were selected in that 1973 draft, the Atlanta Flames picking second, 
took Tom Lysiak, who went on to a very solid career with the Flames uh, and the Blackhawks, Dennis Vervegaard going third to Vancouver, Lanny McDonald going fourth to the Maple Leafs, the fifth overall pick in the draft, the St. Louis Blues picked a goalie out of Calgary named John Davidson. So, you know, some very well-known players out there, but none of them uh, as good as Dennis Potvin. Uh, Lanny McDonald and Bob Gainey also in the Hall of Fame. They were also selected in the first round of the draft. Rick Middleton went to the Rangers with the 14th overall selection, and a good defenseman, Ian Turnbull, was selected with the next pick, the uh, 15th overall pick, by the Maple Leafs. So a lot of good players in the first round of this draft, but none of them the type of players you could build a franchise around like Dennis Potvin was. And, you know, quite honestly, the Islanders would not have been the Islanders, and you probably would not have seen the dynasty as we know it if the management and and Bill Torrey at that time had not decided to hold on to that pick and draft Dennis Potvin. And, you know, it's interesting because Torrey worked for the old Oakland Seals, California Golden Seals organization before he came to Long Island, and the Seals traded away so many of their picks that allowed the Canadiens, for example, to draft Guy Lafleur. And I think one thing is that Torrey learned how badly the Seals were hurt by not drafting good young talent, by trading away all those picks for a short-term fix. And he knew he had to build his team around a player like him, uh, uh, sort of a, a the bedrock of the franchise, the cornerstone, somebody who he could build around. All right, that is going to do it for us here on the Locked On Islanders podcast. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Keep social distancing. And, uh, of course, let's go Islanders.